You're listening to Your Home Fitness Podcast brought to you by PowerBlock. On today's episode, we are talking to celebrity trainer of superheroes, Don Saladino. Stick around. You're going to want to. Welcome back, Bun. Thank you for having me back, Kitty. Welcome Thanks for back having me you. back in the studio, yeah, PowerBlock back, studio. Back where we belong. <laughs> Right where we belong. <laughs> no, maybe not. Okay. Today. 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 Yeah. Do you have a superhero voice? Um, oh. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's the same as my radio announcer voice. Okay. Let me hear it. Thank you for tuning in to your home fitness podcast. Okay. I can dig that. It's more of a monster truck announcer. Yeah. It's Sunday, never, Sunday, Sunday. Yeah. I'm monster truck man. That's my superhero. Okay. Persona. All right. I don't know what my superhero voice would sound like if I had one. But I do know that we are talking to someone who trains celebrities that are playing movie roles That's that really are superheroes. Cool. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I'm really looking forward to Don Saladino. Don Saladino. Have you ever heard of his name before? I have heard of his name You know, before. he is affiliated with PowerBlock. He's been doing some yeah. giveaways with us. He's been doing some really cool things with PowerBlock and really cool things on his own. The, mm -hmm. I mean, conventions and speaking, just amazing, amazing human being. And I'm really looking forward to diving into what a superhero really means to him. Yeah. You know, I mean, training, training someone to get to a certain goal in a small amount of time, that right. can't be easy. P.S. Yeah. yeah. Like Brad Pitt Fight Club. We talk about him all the time. We talked about him with Chris Proctor. Like, how do you get to be Brad Pitt in, bad, blah, 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 Brad Pitt in Fight Club? Say that 10 times fast. Yeah. But seriously, how do you even manage that? Today, we're going to learn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's going to, you know, I want to find out, you know, what's the difference? How do we break down, you know, how do we approach celebrities getting prepared for a role? How do you approach athletes getting ready for the championship? Or just a normal person, because I know he has some challenges and programs that you or I could learn exactly. and use at home. Yeah, yeah. Your there, home fitness podcast. You've got a whole variety of different approaches to take to fitness. How do you take, what's your approach? How do you do it? How do you do it? I want to find out. Okay, let's find out. Let's stop talking. Let's get him on the line. Whoa, don't okay. yell. Oh, sorry. Okay. I was getting a little excited. Sunday, Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> All right, let's dig it. Don Saladino, y'all. You're listening to the More Than Just Dumbbells podcast powered by PowerBlock. After the show, you should check out PowerBlock.com and you'll find a wide array of adjustable dumbbells and accessories. Along with an insightful blog, trendy apparel, high-quality workout and exercise videos, PowerBlock has everything you need to get your body and mind ready for spring. And now, back to the show. Dan, we're back. Yes, we are. With Don. We were talking about Don and how rad he is. I know. But we're, we've got him here. He's coming here from New York. Yes. The Big Apple. So, Don, welcome. Welcome to the PowerBlock studio. Thank you for having me on. This is terrific. Blast to have you. We just did some promotions with you. We did some giveaways yes. with you. So it's great yeah. to have you in person, live here in the studio. So thank you so much for it's amazing. Power blocks are like gold now, right? Like where in the past it seemed like such a luxury. It's so funny to hear how they become somewhat of a necessity. Out of all of our giveaways, I would go as much as far to say that like the second they went on, I'm getting like private DMs like, oh, I could really use these. I'm like, stop DMing me. <laughs> like, leave me alone. <laughs> but um, oh my God, you could have given away, you know, a hundred pairs of those and they would have went two seconds. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Well, thanks for that. We didn't pay you for that. So thanks for that <laughs> super rad no, promo. You know what? You, you know, in, in all fairness, you have to be grateful to the people that helped you out. And at a time in my life where, you know, I went from a very successful brick and mortar business and when we had a transition where we were living at home, power block, even when they were short on blocks, they were like, 
what do you need? We're here to help. And, and that, and that to me is, you know, you don't have to pay me once you, once you, once you do that in my book, you're, uh, you're in my cool guy list, if you know what I'm talking about. So oh, it, hey. it's nice. It's, it's a, it's a nice partnership. Cool kids. I, I agree. Thanks for having us as a part of your cool kid squad. I love it. So I love you were talking about a brick and mortar. I mean, let's just jump into it, Don. How did you get to where you are? And, and how, how did your journey even start? Yeah. You know, I mean, we can, without boring you the details of childhood. I mean, I think uh, once, um, once college ended, I became a coach. I was a coach for a year. I was always very entrepreneurial. So um, I think when I left the brick and mortar business um, in 2000, I went and started my own training business. And actually at a young age was doing pretty well. Right. And um, I think three years in, I was like, all right, well, what's next? So I went and I did a big fundraise. I raised, I think at about, how old was I? 26. I probably raised about 5 million bucks on my own and um, put together this incredible facility in Soho and uh, built my first club. And that, that lease lasted for 15 years. The lease actually expired May of 2020. So they forced gyms to close March of 2020. And I basically cut the landlord a check for three months and um, but that's another story and I'll get to that in a second, but I, I opened a second club in the city and I launched a, a digital app company. Um, God, I keep forgetting the year, 2010, 2011 called driven apps. And I did that with a couple of professional athletes. I did very well for a while and then kind of crapped out. And there's a reason for that also, but these were all learning curves. Right. And, um, it's, it's, it's ironic that after, you know, being a, a coach for about 24 years of my life, having brick and mortar facilities, being in the digital business, I feel like the success really hit another notch, um, you know, around the pandemic. I mean, you just had to play to the strengths and weaknesses of what was going on. And you had to offer something to, I think, society that, you know, that was needed. And we really were able to fast track. I think we did in six months, um, probably, oh God, I mean, I would go as far to say 10X what my best year ever was at a brick and mortar spot. So it literally erupted. And um, you, you, you realize there was this whole new market, this whole new community. And then I think at a time where you would have said to yourself, oh, God, I'm not going to have a gym anymore. It was like, no, it's a business decision. Like our gym was having our best year in 2019. And we decided to leave it because we found something that was doing better. So where back in 2004, 2005, when I was signing my lease, I remember saying to myself, man, what's it going to be like when I leave this place? I remember saying it like, is it going to be on good terms? It could be on bad terms. It was on great terms. And it ended up, uh, we ended up rolling into something even better. It sounds like the timing was absolutely perfect for you. Like you said, you know, they closed down March and you were done in May. It was scary though, but you know, it was like, it, it was, you know, March, I'll never forget governor Cuomo announced 8 PM on Monday, March 16th, that gyms were closed. Um, and my wife and I sat there and we were like, um, this is going to be interesting. Uh, you know, let's, Let's create, and I literally sat up all night creating a four-week bodyweight program. So I literally, my wife and I ran into our living room. We had like a spare living room, which um, we didn't really have much stuff in it. We were moving couches and moving carpets. And out of nowhere, I created this four-week periodized bodyweight program where like every two weeks, we kind of progressed it. And um, every two weeks, after two weeks, we progressed it. And um, we shot video for every exercise. And then I, I knew I was going to get calls from all the publications, you know, everything from shape magazine, mm -hmm. to muscle fitness, her, muscle fitness, hers, you know, Cosmo, every, everything, every publication called me and was like, would you give us a workout? And I'm like, what do you, what do you want? They're like, just a day, like an abs or a bicep. I'm like, I'll do better. I'll give you a full month. And they're like, what are you talking about? Why would you want to give that to us? And I'm like, cause I'm not charging. It is what it is. Huh? And let's, um, 
and let's um, offer something to people at a pretty scary time. But what we ended up, we didn't even realize it was happening. But I think in that month, we collected about 200,000 emails. Bingo. Which is pretty significant. And then at that point, we started developing this community, which I think the first challenge I launched might have had 80 people in it. And I think as of April of next year, I'm going to have 9,000 different challenges in my community. So yeah, it, it, was, it was cool. It was interesting. And now we're kind of rolling off and launching all these educational courses for trainers on how to monetize their digital business. We've documented everything over the last three years and we put it into a 20-hour uh, course. So that'll go live next week. So you know, we're constantly coming up with ideas and we're constantly um, figuring out ways to you know, offer something cool to... Uh, you know, something cool out there. That excited. Like I can feel your excitement. Like my body's activated. Like, yeah, I, man, love it. Yeah, but I, I just love this. So, you know, I mean, I mean, my, my career started with one-on-one training and, and fortunately I've done really well with that. And still to this day, you know, I still stay connected with only, only a couple of people. There's probably three or four of, of my clients. I still work with that. I prep uh, for movies and stuff, but yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's kind of went off in this other path where um, yeah, now you can reach, you know, way more than what you're reaching at your club. Well, and kind of with power block as well, during the pandemic, everyone was like power blocks, power blocks. I need them for my home gym and people's mindsets completely changed about at home workout. So it sounds like you were rolling with the punches before the punches even started. Yeah. What's interesting is you even said that was, it was funny with power blocks because I had a pair of power blocks in, in my club in New York city that my head trainer who passed away in 2010 bought for the club. And he's like, would you mind if I leave these here? And I'm like, absolutely not. So I had a pair of power blocks in there probably since 2009. They sat in the gym and every once in a while, they'd be in a quarter if we didn't want to run over to the dumbbells, which ran up to 125 pounds. We had enough dumbbells, but they were convenient and they were there. So I always kept them there. And then when my buddy passed away, Tommy, um, I actually have his mask card up on my wall right now. He's one of my best friends. Um, I always left him in the club because he passed and they were the last things he left there. When the pandemic hit, I remember driving into the city and grabbing that set of power blocks and I brought it out into that living room area, which was the body weight area where I shot all that content. And I started stealing equipment out of my gym at drive and putting it in. So I had a full blown gym. I, 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 you know, I even reinforced the floor underneath so I can deadlift. I think I pulled 500 pounds off a wooden floor because it was reinforced underneath. So we developed this incredible gym in my living room, but I was never using power blocks. Then suddenly I'm sitting in my, in my gym using power blocks. And I'm like, Wow, these are unbelievable. Like, it's pretty fascinating that I have a set of dumbbells up to 90 pounds that are in a tray about this big. It's probably the size of them, right? And um, you start earning this level of trust over specific things that you never really trusted. I'm not going to lie. If I would go to dumbbells and power blocks, I would always take the dumbbell. Now I'm like, oh, it's the same thing. It's really a comfort level. But I would never have earned that unless... Um, the pandemic hit, in-home training, right? People are used to say, oh, you know, I got to go to the gym. I'm aiming for five days a week. Now they're like, you know what? I'm going to go back to the gym two to three days a week just to be around people. But I can get those two workouts in at home. They gain, it really, I think the pandemic really fast-tracked the online fitness community. I would go as far to say seven to 10 years. I think it propelled everything about seven to 10 years where people now are like, no, I'm going to take my class at home or I'm going to do, you know, um, you know, this online, this spin class, and I'm going to run to my gym, you know, two, three days a week. And now it's becoming a little bit more convenient and people I think are becoming a little bit more successful. Well, and much more malleable as well. You know, I wanted to talk about malleability of 
the mindset around the movement? Does it, does it always have to be structured? Go to the gym, you know, the malleability around the mindset of meals and the ways that muscle grow. Like, how do you, how do you see the fitness world becoming more malleable since when you started? Um, it's funny. I've seen so many progressions, right? We were talking about this today. I was on a live at muscle and fitness and we were even talking about how the clothes have changed, how the training has changed in the eighties. It was like bodybuilding. And then, you know, in the late nineties, everyone's, you know, functional training and like BOSU balls coming out and all this, all this stuff. And, you know, I, I, I really believe there's certain things that aren't going to change. You know, it's like the squat, you know, the squat, the hinge, the, the push, the pull, it's like, these are basic movements. Like you're not going to replace these sort of things. Um, nutritionally now, I mean, you know, I, I believe that the carb is making a comeback. I think people are starting to understand that, you know, that all carbs aren't created equal. And well, if I've been, you know, trying, I've been throwing a ball against the wall, getting the same response, maybe it's something to try a little bit different. My metabolic flexibility, you're hearing these terms pop around now, which make me feel really good. I think what frustrates me about nutrition, you just asked about it was, you know, everyone's got to name something, right? Like I, I, someone asked me about Whole30, I actually had to go online. What the hell is Whole30? And you look at the definition and it was like, oh, it's non-processed, um, whole foods of protein, carbs, and fats. And I'm like, I call that the high quality food diet. Like it's, what's the, what is that? I've been like, doing this whole time, man. It's like, it's like, okay. But like my people, what's your favorite diet? My favorite diet is probably the Mediterranean diet. Like it's, it's honestly the closest thing that I feel like to, you know, getting natural whole foods in and understanding the importance of carbs and fats from a metabolic flexibility standpoint and understanding that protein is our building block. And there's no ways of, there's real no tricks here, right? There's no way, you know, around this stuff. I do believe that people, you know, we metabolize foods a little bit differently than, than the next, but, you know, all in all, it's, um, you know, I, I don't think that stuff's going to change that much. Sure. Now you mentioned bodybuilding, like for example, the eighties, it was all about bodybuilding. And I, I, as I did my deep dive on you, Don, the Don deep dive, I, I ran across the name, Mike O'Hearn, who we had as our our second guest on this podcast. Actually, our second guest of all time was Don, Mike, Mike O'Hearn. Want to hear something funny? I was on a a live with Mike two hours ago. No way. Yeah. I was literally, Mike reached out to me and um, another guy you should have on his name is Frank Seppi. You would absolutely love Frank. Um, Frank and Mike, I would say were two of the most photographed fitness model slash bodybuilders ever. I mean, they probably have over a thousand covers between the both of them, right? Like they're, you know, they're, they're incredible. They're a little bit older than me, which gives me a little bit of bragging rights, but Frank and I work out together every Tuesday. Mike asked Frank, myself and Sadiq Hatsovic, who's um, um, hopefully will win the Olympia this year um, in his, in his division to come on. And we spoke about things like fatherhood and training and, you know, our passion and our, and our love for this. But, um, I, Mike's Mike's a great dude. He'll be out here training with me in October. Absolutely love. And what's that going to be like for you, knowing that that's the guy that you saw on a magazine cover that almost potentially started this whole thing? For you, you know, I, I've been friends with him for a while. I mean, I, I still I, I'm one of those people that you know remember where you came from. And when I was 14, 15, and they were you know 2021, 20, like yeah, I remember seeing them on covers, and I remember. Um, them being a heavy influence on me. I think Mike was on the cover of Iron Man. I still remember him with his long hair. And I remember looking at him and Frank. I think Frank was muscle mag at an early age. And I trained at the same gym as Frank. And we we ended up, you know, I think all three of us became very good friends. Um, but um, it's, it's, it, it's wild to see how 
you grow up and you evolve and you know, everyone evolves and Mike's a different mm-hmm. person. Frank's a different, I'm, I'm a different person, but you know, birds of a feather flock together. You start seeing us all kind of hang a little bit and, you know, similar family values and, you know, great people. And um, yeah, it's been great and honor. You know, talking about values, talking about uh, being a good human of service, right? Yeah. I know uh, a lot of the articles I read, you always talk about being of service first, where it's not about a transaction between your clients. It's about the yeah. loyalty of going the extra mile. Um, where do you feel like you learned that and how has it become, you know, more, more your foundation in the last 15, 20 years that you've been doing this? That's, that's an amazing question. I'm surprised no one's asked me that because there is a story behind that. You know, I, I come from a catering uh, uh, family business, like a catering background. I, I grew up, um, there's a picture of me wearing a tuxedo at seven years old. And obviously I wasn't on the books back then, but my family used to make me go into this catering hall and they would make me sweep floors in between parties. And, you know, when I was 12, 13, I remember my grandfather making me, you know, plunge toilets and, and work in maintenance. And I had every job from lifeguard to maintenance, to waitering, to something called prefabbing, which was the bus boys that had to go out during weddings and parties. And it was really, um, it was interesting because I saw, you know, upper management at this catering hall and I saw how they had a diffuse situation. And I worked with my dad and I saw my dad, how he was always this very calm, cool guy at times, but um, he would always very like lovable and how he would, um, I think come into situations that sometimes got pretty nasty. I've seen guns pulled on him, knives pulled on him. You know, people, people, are, people are drinking. They're, they're at parties. You're at, a, you're at a hall at the time in the eighties, you know, with, you know, 2000 dinners going on in the night, you know, and you have five parties going on, a wedding, a bar mitzvah, a sweet 16, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, an anniversary, people are going to cross paths in the bathroom and shit's going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it's one of those things where when you're in that environment and you understand what the word catering means, um, it just becomes about an experience. Right. And, and for me, coaching became about an experience because there's so many different facets of coaching I've, I've, I've approached. I was a, a personal trainer. I was a strength and conditioning coach, two different things. I've had to work with groups. I had to work with professional golfers, you know, getting ready for the PGA tour. You know, I, I get superheroes ready for the big screen, but the one consistent thing was always about making sure that that individual, those individuals show up that hour, making sure that they left an hour later in a different mindset. And I think when you have the ability, when you have that power to be able to go in there and control someone's mood and allow them to leave an hour later, feeling like they can run through a wall, uh, that's a pretty special thing. So that was always kind of my business model before I owned brick and mortar, right? Or before I got into digital, it was, I'm a trainer. I got to make sure that you're taken care of. We got, we got a plan of attack, but you've got to be willing to call audibles because they might be getting off a plane from Singapore. They might be dehydrated, drunk, hungover, who knows, fighting with their spouse. You don't know what you're ever dealing with and how are you going to be able to watch them walk into the floor within two seconds of me looking at the demeanor of a client's face. I'd be like, oh boy, here we go. Like it's going to be one of those days. And you have to, you would need to learn how to adapt to that. I attribute that all to working in that catering business and then realizing that, you know, customer service, it's everything. It's, it's whether I'm talking to 9,000 people online or whether I'm owning a brick and mortar facility, it's about that customer experience. And, um, you know, I attribute that all to, you know, my, my 10 years, I mean, you know, seven years old, I was a little young, but I think I religiously started working, um, at that place when I was about 12 and they probably didn't, I didn't put my, take my foot off the gas there. I was about 22. So what I'm kind of getting is that you're catering and serving a superhero mindset, so to speak. Like uh, 
you are creating space for them to step into a bigger part part of themselves because they don't remember necessarily what they're doing during your session, but they remember how you made them feel after that. Yeah, I, I think how they feel is very important. I mean, obviously, I want to teach you know I want to teach them how to fish themselves rather than mm-hmm. because they're not always going to have access to me or good food or they're going to be on the road. That's the interesting thing about training celebrities is I've worked with both. I've worked with professional athletes and I work with celebrities, and people are like, "Well, working with athletes is more difficult." And I'm like, "Not even close." And they're like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, not even close. And I actually get angry. I'm like, nope, you're, you've, are, you've completely missed the eight ball scratch. Sorry, done. Like you're not even close. And they're like, well, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm like athletes know their craft. They know their skill, right? We take a minimalistic approach with athletes. Granted, I'm not saying they're not going to get hurt in sport. You know, mm-hmm. their schedule in advance, you know, their time zone change. You can prepare for where their family's going to be celebrities completely com- the complete opposite like ryan reynolds one minute could be in singapore the next minute he's got to be in like british columbia he might have to shoot a, a, a movie or there's got to be a refilming mm-hmm. um he's away from his wife and kids that's tough time zone changes oh he may show up to set and out of nowhere a camera breaks or someone gets sick or one of the co-stars mom dies Sure. I'm not telling you this really happened. I'm just giving you, I'm making sure. up a, you know, I'm making up a, a fake scenario that happens all the, all the time. Now suddenly production gets pushed back or filming gets pushed back or something. So it's, I feel like, oh, and then on top of it, what are we training them for? Oh, we're training him to do sword fighting. Oh, did you grow up sword fighting? No, like I've never picked up a sword in my life. Oh, okay. You mean it's not football? Like Tom Brady's been playing his whole life? Like, okay. So we got to teach you sword fighting on top of training. When I trained Ryan for Green Lantern, him and I are off um, doing trapeze school together. And I'm like, have you ever done that before? He's like, not since I was a kid. I'm like, all right, we got to learn how to do these now. We're, we're going to our backflip coach. And next thing you know, him and I are throwing standing back tucks, right? So it is really, it's very challenging um, I, I, and I'm not, that's not to devalue the athlete. I just think right. that there's a lot more moving parts when you're working with the celebrity. So that's exactly what Dan wanted yeah. to ask was, you know, go ahead, brother. Yeah, when, yeah. yeah. Basically, as we were, you know, getting into this, you know, my question was when you're working with a celebrity, as opposed to an athlete, you've got two totally different outcomes, um, two different goal sets of goals, you know, with yeah. the, with the athlete, obviously you want to be on the top of your game. You want to excel. You want to win the championship with the actor, It's all about, well, I shouldn't say all about, but it's a lot about looking good. And it's a lot about moving in a way that makes you look believable and keeps you safe in the process. So I just kind of wanted, you know, for you to talk a little bit about the different training processes, but you you really covered it. You you answered my question before I even got it. It's very, it's very observant of you. I mean, I, I, that's kind of how I've always personally trained, you know, myself, it's performance physique. Like I've been on a dozen covers, but I got to be able to perform. And I think that's something the uh, the actor needs. It's this like, all right, like Dave Harbour goes off to shoot Hellboy in Bulgaria and nine weeks before filming, he can't pick up a 24 kilogram kettlebell because his back's so bad, mm. right? So now over nine weeks, you know, on his ninth week, he literally had a 400 pound deadlift, pain-free, but we had to keep him at that same weight, right? Like he, he was a production called me up and they're like, if his 
if his body comp changes too much for his prosthetic suit, we're going to pull, we're going to pull funding for, for this. He needs to be around 250 pounds. So there's a lot of different bear variables. It's not always like, Oh, we need to look like Ryan Reynolds or we need to look like Brad Pitt for fight club. Right. Like there's certain times where, you know, I work with Liev Schreiber for a movie called Chuck and Liev's like, uh, this is what I got to look like. And I'm like, well, you got to put on body fat. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, so you actually got to get in worse looking shape. He's like, yeah, but I need the condition to be able to do what I'm doing. Okay, different outcome now. So it's not always just like, oh, we have to take our shirt off and be like, you know, looking like X, Y, and Z. I think athletes, it's really about, in my book, it's about performance and resiliency, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, and I think that was what was tricky with working with golfers because they never really had an off season. So when you get a tour player, and I'm not talking about the Tiger Woods or the Rory McIlroy's, I'm talking about the guys that are grinding, which is the majority of the tour. Um, you know, they're... Um, you know, they're uh, 10 months, you know, they're, they're on tour for 10 months. So it's like, all right, well, when's your, I was trying to lay out these periodized programs over a year. And then three months in, there's like a guy going to uh, to Malaysia to play in an event. And then he's vomiting, you know, out of a plane for a week and loses 10 pounds and is holding on for dear life as he's golfing in 105 degree weather. Like the program's going to change now. Like you can't map it out that far in advance. Almost all the time, there's going to be a wrench thrown in it. So, you know, again, looking at different things um, for these different individuals, but um, the athletes for me, what I look for is performance, more important than performance, resiliency. I just want to make sure their bodies aren't breaking down. Like if I'm working with a professional golfer and, you know, they're coming to me and it's like, well, I hit the golf ball 320 yards, but I want to get to hitting it 330 yards. I'm kind of like, it doesn't matter. Like, I just want to make sure your body's not breaking down in those 10 months that you're on tour. So when it comes to the performers, it's more like a, um, you have a time constraint, for example, you know, you have a movie shoot or a certain, certain space to yeah. get to. So you have a, a set amount of time. Whereas with the athletes, it's more for longevity. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it's unusual sometimes because with these performers, with these actors, um, you could be spending all this time preparing someone for a role. And the second the role ends, I remember it happened with Joaquin Phoenix once he had to get in great shape for this role. I forgot. I even forgot that I've worked with so many people. I forget the roles, but the second the role ended, he's like, I think he had to gain 60 pounds or like lose 60 pounds. I don't even remember. It was something. And I was like, I remember it was, it was, I was like, Oh man, like, I, I, I don't know. I felt like I just spent like, you know, months putting together this like Lego like statue. And then someone just came up to it with a hammer. And just, just Jenga powered that. That's, that's, that's what these actors. And that's why a lot of them have to live in this like point of new, like being neutral. Like a lot of them that, and the reason why they want to be there is they want to be relatable. They don't want to, most of them don't want to like Dwayne Johnson is, is listen, I mean, Dwayne Johnson, I mean, one of the wealthiest and one of the most lovable actors in Hollywood. I've met DJ several times and he's great, but you know, you look at DJ, his body is not changing. Like when you look at DJ, you're thinking of like a modern day Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Like you're thinking of DJ, you're in some movie, there's always some type of like alpha male masculine, like I'm going to kick your ass type of approach, you know, and it's, he's not going to be able to really adjust into many different roles. Like, you, you know, like he's playing his, it was like with Arnold, Arnold was playing that person. Yeah. Where, you know, you might look at, um, you know, someone like 
um, Ryan or Jared Leto, whoever it is that has to, you know, Jared's a great example because he was just in We Crash. I trained Annie Hathaway for, for that one. And Jared, Jared did an incredible, I did not work with Jared, by the way, but he did an incredible job, I think, evolving into that specific role. Yet, you know, he's been in other movies where his physique changes or he might look completely different. And I think that's when you know who the good actors are, when you kind of look at them and you forget who they are. Right. You see him on stage and you just forget that's who you're watching. And I think that's for most actors, that's their ultimate, um, you know, I think that's their ultimate um, award. They want to be the role rather than themselves. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I'm watching Billy Crudup on stage. I've known Billy for 10 years and I forget it's Billy. Like I'm just drawn into this character, which has happened to me with Billy probably two or three times on bot on, on Broadway. And afterwards, I was I'm like, Billy, like, I didn't even know it was you. And he's like, oh, my God, it's the greatest compliment you could have given me. Right. Like, that's, yeah, it's it's very cool to see how they have to suddenly evolve into these roles. And, you know, do you see them almost immerse themselves into that character as you're working? You know, do you see them become that character more as you're working? It depends. Working with it depends on who you're working with. You know, it, it's... um. You know, there's some, I don't work with a lot of method actors where they, okay. people don't know what that term is. It's like they become that person. Heath Ledger. Yeah. yeah. You know, very, you become that very. person for, um, for a period of time. Um, oh God, who is the actor that I'm going to wholly botch the story up? Uh, Drew Powell was telling me the story about um, an older actor and, and uh, he was um, kind of torturing himself. It wasn't Dustin Hoffman. It was someone of that era, okay. but he was like torturing himself. And then another actor looked at him and goes, what are you doing? He's like, I'm getting into character. And he goes, young man, that's why they call it acting. Like you got to like be able to turn it on and off and yes. a slap in his face. But you know, some of the actors, I mean, I, I think from what I've gathered, um, I think it becomes difficult when they go home to their children and they're suddenly trying to play a different person. Like I think it's a, also a lot of them becoming parents. They got to realize that, you know, you're around your seven, eight-year-old, they're not going to understand that mommy is suddenly playing like a crackhead that she's being, you know, like, you know, Warnos, like, you know, Charlize yeah. Theron, like, you're not going to know that. Yeah, it, it, it's tough. So I have a lot of respect for them because there is a lot of work behind closed doors. Everyone's under yeah. the assumption. It's like, oh, they have their private chefs and their private jets. And I'm like, that's bullshit. None of them, like, most of them aren't having private chefs and they're not flying around in private jets. They're just, they're away from their family. They have to suddenly become this character. If you're sitting there and you're crying in a scene for a week, that's going to affect you. Um, I remember, I mean, you, I'm using Ryan Reynolds. He's like a brother to me. So I could talk about it a little bit, but I remember he shot that movie buried. Um, mm. It was a movie where for two weeks he shot this movie. He was in a coffin. Oh, and they had to bury this coffin and they had a camera down there. He literally shot for two weeks in this coffin. And, you know, he, when he caught out, he looked like a string bean. And I was like, are you all right? He's like, that was a tough few weeks, man. I'm a little off right now. Like you're, right. if you're going to take any of us and put us in a coffin for two weeks and you had to suddenly act like, yeah, we're going to all be a little off. Right. So absolutely, yeah, it's, 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 it's wild stuff to see them go through what they go through. Well, of- and you were talking about how close you get with your clientele, for example, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Now, like you said, he might be in Singapore one day and then British Columbia the next day. He might be drunk. He might be coming off of a performance. He might be doing. Oh, he doesn't get drunk. He doesn't get drunk. Well, he doesn't get drunk. I mean, yeah. 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 Uh, what you're dealing with or what you get to see firsthand is their stress level. So yeah, how, do you, how so, do you feel like you help them manage that stress or. Um, well, you know, Ryan, Ryan's a bad example. Ryan's, Ryan's a true pro. So he's, sure. he's Ryan's one of those people I could just. 
he makes me look good. And I always, I call him my show pony. I'm like, you know, he knows what he needs to do and it's little fine adjustments. And, you know, I saw him this week and he's, he's amazing. And, and what, what, what can I say? But yeah, some of them, I mean, you know, you're, um, I think it's your job just to recognize that, you know, they're in a bad place and you can't give them all the answers. Right. Or if they're having a tough time, they're human beings, right. They have family issues just like we do, or they have yeah. work issues just like we do. And I think it's just allowing them to feel safe and giving them the safe, um, outlet to where they can go and they can train and they can feel good about themselves and then leave there being in a better spot. I'm not telling you I'm going to be able to solve all their problems in the session. Normally that's not what happens, but I think what I can do is I can expose them to something that really makes them feel good. And then when they leave, it's like, all right, see you tomorrow, see you tomorrow. And then we're hitting repeat every day and you see them come right out of it. So I've been really fortunate enough to, um, I mean, out of the hundreds of, um, I think actors I've worked with, um, I've, I, I can't even name any bad, you know, instances that I ran sure. in. I think they, a lot of them have a respect for me coming in, knowing my history and my, the people that I've worked with. And I think we kind of come in and it's kind of immediately a hug and, Hey, it's great to meet you. heard a lot about you and then let's have some fun. Well, that's kind of how I felt when I first saw you. I was like, Hey Don, it's great to meet you, man. You just have that, that energy about you that is very inviting and very safe. So I can understand why, why you attract these bigger names because it's probably difficult for them to feel safe considering they are such a famous entity. Uh, so here's on you, brother. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, rock on. So we're going to cut it right here, Bun. Yes, Because we, we have a lot more to talk about yes, with Don do. Saladino. But we do want to be very, very cognizant of people's time. We are yep. very, very thankful that you're spending time with us. So we're going to cut the episode here. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to come back with the second part of this episode at a later date. Exactly. It's our version of a cliffhanger. <laughs> That's some very superhero stuff. Tune in next time to hear Don Saladino say, you know, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Is that the cliffhanger? Yeah, well, I mean, that's how they used to do it. You know, the time I like show. that cliffhanger. All right, let's hang from some cliffs like <laughs> you used to do. <laughs> yes, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs>